So great to see you this morning. Welcome to Advent at Union Chapel. You just uh, saw a video of the emphasis for this year's Christmas offering. We take up one special offering each year at Union Chapel. It's at Christmas, and the video depicted the three areas that we're going to be funding this year for, uh, from the Christmas offering. So the, the one is the Blood and Fire Christmas store, which we annually do. It's a great tradition here. Blood and Fire buys gifts and then sells them pennies on the dollar and then redistributes the money from that to other ministries. And it's just the gift that keeps on giving. About 300 families get to receive Christmas. Otherwise, they might miss out. So it's a great, great, it's a great thing. We love to support it. So the first $10,000 that we receive will go to Blood and Fire Christmas. Then the second $4,000 will actually go to Light Their Path, which is a ministry began, you may recall, ministry began by one of our small groups a year ago, and it's the purchase and distribution of children's Bibles. And sometimes the simplest ideas are the best ideas, and this is a great idea. Last year, they distributed, just their small group distributed 1,200 children's Bibles. They did that through the Christmas store at Blood and Fire. They did that through secret families. They also sent hundreds of Bibles down to Cape Coral when we started Golfside Church down there. So the children at Gulfside would have Bibles. It's a great, great ministry, great idea. So we're going to help them and distribute, purchase and distribute about 1,800 Bibles, children's Bibles this year. And that's very exciting stuff. So I know you feel good about that. And then you saw depicted on the screen the handful of church plants that we have been and are part of now designing. And we'll have more to say about church planting as the year unfolds uh, next. So I know you're excited about that. So be praying about your contribution to the special offering for Christmas this year, and we'll start uh, receiving that next week. So be prepared for the Christmas offering next week, and there happen to be five Sundays in December this year, and so we'll receive that offering all the way through the end of the year, and thank you for your participation with that. I know you feel good about it. Today we are continuing the journey during Advent here at Union Chapel, and I have chosen as our scripture reference Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, And today I want to talk about overcoming offenses, overcoming offenses. How many of you know someone who's easily offended? You know someone like that. They just, they're easy to set off. You know, they would be so offended if they saw you raising your hand right now and they were thinking about you because they're just that way. All of us have to suffer though from offenses, don't we? We all have to deal with it. And so today I want to talk about overcoming them and I trust that uh, it'll be a blessing to you. So Luke chapter one, we'll read part of the script. Christmas story here today beginning in verse 26. So our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so thank you for doing that as you're able. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. May God inspire us today through this powerful story. You may be seated. Thanks so much. You know, you're in your car at a four-way stop. You know you beat the guy across the intersection. You were there first. You know it. He knows it. He knows you know it. And yet he pulls out and cuts across in front of you anyway. And it kind of sets you off. It's offensive. Yeah, stuff like that happens. And when you like or follow someone on Facebook or Instagram and they don't like or follow you back, very offensive. How many of you get offended by that, for example? Just, it sets you off. There you go. Haven't had a lot of takers on that one. When you text someone, now a lot of, lots of you text, and you know the rules in texting. If you get a text, you're supposed to respond immediately. In fact, the average response time on a text in the United States is about 90 seconds. And so when you text someone and you're expecting a response and then you get the bubbles, bubbles are coming on your phone, you realize they're, they're typing something. They're going to respond. It's coming any second now. And then nothing. They, they start typing because you get the bubbles. That's what gets the bubbles going. But then they don't follow through. It's offensive. Where's you out? Or you sit down at Christmas dinner with all your family at the table. You've been praying. You've been praying all week. Lord, please, this year, let there be peace on earth. Don't, don't let it erupt like it always does in our family. And so you're all prayed up, you're ready to go, and you sit down at family dinner, and someone looks at you and says, you voted for Trump, didn't you? And it's game on. Or someone just snidely says, you know, I don't think I agree with the way you're raising your kids. And boom, it happens. And off you're into this crisis. You know, where there should be peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It ends up being chaos and a lot of pain. Now, those are the little things that we can all identify with. But the truth of it is that many of us will have to deal with big things and major wounds around the holidays. People who have been betrayed in a significant way, lied about, or people that you loved and trusted who let you down. Some of you have been abused, and it's a bad story. And you may even have to be in a family gathering with people present at those gatherings who either condoned or were a party to the abuse. Very, very difficult, very challenging. So as a result, families get divided, friendships are ended, all manner of pain and dysfunction results to these offenses. And I know some of you have to open gifts from people toward whom you have a closed heart. You might even say, I hate that person a person whom Christ has called us to love. But it's very difficult for you. Let's see if we can help one another overcome these offenses. If you have your outline in front of you, I hope that you'll follow along and try to fill in these blanks. The first point I want to make is this. With regard to overcoming offenses, here's some motive for you. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to live offended. Now let that, let that settle. Let that assimilate into your system if you can. Life is short. Too short. 
the call of God, the plan of God, the purposes of God for your life are too great to live this brief life offended. And life really is short, isn't it? Life is a mist. The Bible says that life is like a ray of sunlight that comes in and then quickly fades. It's like a a grass that rises up, springs up in the morning, but by the afternoon it withers and dies. So it is with life. We're just here, here today, gone tomorrow. Life passes so quickly. You know, I don't know if you've ever strolled through a cemetery, but I encourage you to do that because walking through a cemetery will actually give you perspective. It'll help you get, get a feel for what life is about. Because you'll notice in a cemetery, if you see a tombstone, a headstone, or a little placard in the, in the cemetery, all of them have a name, then they have a date of birth, and then there's a date of death. And in between the birth date and the date of death is a dash, just a little dash. Let me just remind you, we're all living in the dash. And when you walk through a cemetery, you may say, oh, look, there was a baby who only lived to be two years old. Or there's a young man, he died when he was 20. Or here's a woman, she lived to a ripe old age, she was 97. But in spite of all of those ranges of ages, what occurs to you when you're walking through the cemetery is, man, life must be short because all these folks are gone. They were here, but now they're gone. And they lived in the dash. And it just seems like it went like that. When you raise small children, you get the impression when they're small that this is a life sentence, that every day for the rest of my life I'm going to have to get up and do this routine with these kids over and over again because it's so demanding and so difficult. But the fact is, as a parent, you go to sleep. You sleep one night, two nights, three nights. You wake up, and the kids are gone. They're, they're grown, they're raised, and they're out. It just happens like that. And it's so quick. Life is so short. And so we need perspective on these things. Because life is so short and our calling is so great. Listen, my calling is too great. Your calling is too great. God has too many plans for us. We are called to be the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We're called to be a city set up on a hill that can't be hidden. We, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are emissaries of the Lord of the universe. We have this holy calling, this amazing opportunity to influence the world around us in Jesus' name. We are, we are humbled and honored by the, by the sheer weight and opportunity it is to represent Jesus Christ and his word to the world. And so our calling is so great and our lives are so short Listen, it makes no sense to go through life offended, carrying offenses and living under the burden of offenses. It makes more sense to be free of these offenses so that we can live freely and honorably before God. So maybe if we say it together, it'll help us. Here's the phrase. My life is too short. My calling is too great. My life is too short. My calling is too great. Say it out loud. You ready? My life is too short. My calling is too great. One more time. My life is too short. My calling is too great. I'm not going to live offended. I'm not going to let the weakness of other people, the wounds, the disappointments, the frustrations of other people keep me from God's best plan in my life. Just not going to let it happen. Look at Proverbs 19.11 with me. I'll put it on the screen. A person's wisdom yields patience. Now, see that phrase? If you are a wise person, you will be a patient person. It is to one's glory, to your glory, 
to a person's glory to overlook an offense. To overlook an offense. Now, what does that phrase mean? What, what, is, what is implied here? It, do, it does not mean to pretend it didn't happen. Hear that now. It does not mean pretending something didn't happen. Rather, it's a conscious decision to let it go, to overlook an offense. It's an in-the-moment decision to forgive. It's a real-time decision, a choice to rise above the moment and overlook the offense. Let me say it this way. Small people take big offense. Small people take big offense. Big people rise above small offenses. Years ago, Beth and I and the boys were at Christmas dinner with family, and it was a big table, big crowd of people around the table, and the boys were young then, and they were sitting right across from me. Beth was right beside me, and we were having Christmas dinner. And a member of our family was describing people whom they had met on a recent trip to Europe, and they had visited the Sistine Chapel and the great artwork there in the ceiling of the Sistine, and these, these uh, great epics, biblical epics, are portrayed in the, in the ceiling of the Sistine in this fabulous art. And so these family members had met some friends, new friends on this trip, and they happened to be Mormons. And this Mormon couple had some knowledge of the Bible and were rehearsing some of the scenes depicted on the ceiling of the Sistine. And as the story was told, then this announcement came to me. Now, you should know that I was at the table, but I was minding my own business. I wasn't in the conversation. I wasn't interacting necessarily. I was just eating my mashed potatoes and minding my own business. But the person turned to me and said, yes, uh, they knew a lot more about the Bible than you do. Now, at that point, you have choices. There are choices now that are rolling through the screen. One, and I rehearsed a couple of those choices. One, one choice was I could lop off their head, put it on a platter, sit it in the middle of the table. But it's Christmas. You know, that didn't seem right. A little gruesome. <laughs> or I could choose to live above that. And, and, and overlook that in my patience. It's my glory to overlook an offense. Isn't that what the scripture teaches? And so I just simply said, probably not. But then the person doubled down. And with more energy now, they said, oh yes, they definitely know more about the Bible than you do. Beth's fork hit her plate. Bam. And I looked across the table and the boys' eyes were like saucers. They're looking at me like, what are you going to do? And so I had made my choice, made my decision about that moment. And I calmly said, I doubt it. Now watch, overlooking an offense is a real-time decision to rise above the moment and to choose not to let that moment get down inside of you to take root in you. Because the Bible talks about developing a root of bitterness. When offenses come and you, you absorb those offenses, they can actually 
take root in your heart and begin to influence you in negative ways. The Bible talks about strongholds, spiritual strongholds, emotional strongholds, and relational strongholds that can keep you from being free in God's best plan for your life. And so they restrict your relationships and they, they leave you, they leave you uh, uh, small and, and, and restrained and sometimes paralyzed by the pain and offense that these events have caused you. And so, and so the, the Bible encourages us and God admonishes us to live above these things, to overlook. And you can choose in these moments rather to absorb this offense or to overlook the offense. Look at this uh, language from the French philosopher René Descartes. I'll put it on the screen for you. This is lofty speech. He said, whenever anyone has offended me, I try to raise my soul so high that the offense cannot reach it. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? That's really strong. Whenever someone has offended me, I try to raise my soul so high that the offense can't reach it. Now, why do you do that? Because our life is too short and our calling is too great to let something small distract us from something so big. Your life is too short. Your calling, the, the hand of God on your life, the influence that God has given you in your life, it's too great. It's too big. The stakes are too high for you to live with offenses. So that leads me to the second thing that I want to mention as we try to overcome offenses, and that's with God's help, that, that predecessor phrase is very important, with God's help, number two, I'm going to get over being easily offended. Getting over being easily offended. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, look at that on the screen with me. Always be humble and gentle. You see the fruit of the Spirit here, humble, gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Making allowance for each other's faults. Now, what does that mean? Let me ask you this question. How many of you know someone who's perfect? They're perfect. Not they think they're perfect, but they're actually perfect. Anyone know a perfect person? How about you? Anyone here in the room? Are you perfect? Any perfect people here? Okay, we can all agree on this. We might not be able to agree on everything, but we can agree on this. Nobody's perfect. You agree? Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. None of God's children are perfect. We are all imperfect. We all have a story. We all have baggage. We all have struggles. We all have failures. We all have faults. We all have, we all have a circumstance. We all have a past. Everyone, everyone comes into relationships with a roller bag of issues. We all roll into town with stuff. Nobody's perfect. All right. So when someone does something to you that's offensive, you have to put it in that context. That's, that's why the Apostle Paul is admonishing us by allowing each other's faults, giving allowance to that because you love people. You're patient with people. You're gentle with people. And so you're giving them the benefit of the doubt. You're allowing for their faults, their issues. You've heard the old adage that hurt people hurt people. It's true, isn't it? It's true. When people go through disappointment and frustration and wounds in life, that that oftentimes manifests themselves, these wounds, in relationships. And so oftentimes when people are responding to us in an offensive way, it isn't about us at all. It's about their pain. It's about their wound. 
And so Paul says, look, give allowance for that. Give allowance for their faults because you love them and you're patient. You know how we uh, tend to judge people? We tend to judge people by the way they act. But we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge others by their actions. We judge ourselves by intentions. So if someone wrongs us, we go, hey, that was the wrong thing to do. Shame on you. But if we do something and someone says to me, you hurt me, our, our response is often, oh, I didn't mean to hurt you. If I hurt you in any way, I didn't intend to hurt you. It wasn't my intention to cause you pain. And so we tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt in these kinds of moments, but we tend to judge others a little bit more harshly. And so we have this, we have this interesting dichotomy. So when we need to recognize that when someone else is having a bad day or a bad season of life, and they may respond to you in some uncaring or unkind or unfriendly or they're short with you or they're inattentive or they're lacking empathy. Listen to me. This, is, this will help you. Their bad response isn't all about you. It's not about you. It just isn't. Their bad day or bad moment is not about you. For example, if someone cuts you off in traffic, and you know they did that in, on purpose. Look, they're not trying to ruin your day. Something's going on with them. It's not about you. So don't take any offense at that. If, you, if someone gives you some kind of snarky response, that's not about you necessarily. The, the greater question is, I wonder what's going on with them that would cause them to be short with me like that under these circumstances. Or their PMS. That's not about you. Unless you ask about it, then it's all about you. Just this, this is some marriage advice for, for people. <laughs> if PMS stands for please make sense, I didn't, now listen, I did not say that. I'm just reporting. <laughs> this hasn't worked all weekend. I don't know why I'm trying it again. So it's not about you unless you ask about it in that case. Then it's all about you. <laughs> but when people respond poorly to you and it's offensive to you, you've got to put it into the context of perhaps what they're going through themselves. So it's a good interpersonal relationship skill to always pause and ask the question, what might be happening in this person's life? Why are you so angry? Why are you so hurt? Why, are you, why, are you, why did you say that to me in that way? And if you have enough relationship with them, you can maybe could extend care to them, pastoral care to them, offer to pray for them, support them in some way. Because everybody's got a story and everybody's going through stuff and usually it's not about you. Here's a question. I wish I'd have put this in your notes so you could have it. Maybe you want to write this down. This may really help you. This is a question that's saved me a lot of angst over the years, a lot of offense over the years when I just ask this question because it gives perspective to the whole situation. And the question is this. How much time do we waste building a case against someone who's not even thinking about us? How much time do we waste building a case against someone who's not even thinking about us? And that is true most of the time. Maybe the vast majority of the time when people do something offensive to us, this question can be applied. Why would I build a case against this person? They're not even thinking about me. Their intention wasn't to hurt me. They're just expressing out of their own pain, frustration, and disappointment wounds in their own life. 
And it's right for us to get perspective on that. So with God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. Now let me just get to this last point. And again, with God's help, I'm getting over big offenses. Point three on your outline. I'm getting over the big offenses. Now I want to be gentle here because of the significant wounds and scars some of you carry because of serious offenses that have occurred in your life. Christmas season is especially difficult for you because it's occasion for you to rehearse the pain or betrayal or abuse or the lies. And just a reminder, though, that when we've been hurt, we have a choice. We can rehearse, we can rehearse those wounds, and some of these wounds are very serious. They are very severe. They've left a mark. They've left a, mo- a wound. They've left a scar. They're, they're hard to deal with. And I understand that. Nevertheless, we're still left with a choice. We can rehearse those wounds. And the holiday season is an opportunity, and it's, it's almost human nature. You want to get yourself alone somewhere in a dark room, and it's a depressing moment for you, and you just go over what's happened to you and how you've been victimized in your life and how horrible your life has turned out because people have wronged you. And you can rehearse that, and you can rehearse it if you want. But let me just remind you, Life is too short. And God's plans for you are so great, too great, for you to rehearse all the pain again. Life's too short. God's destiny for you, it's too big, it's too, it's too important, it's too great for you to live in that. And so you can either choose to rehearse those wounds or you can choose to release those wounds. And this is my invitation to you this season here at Union Chapel. If you're resonating with what I'm saying right now, you don't have to rehearse all that stuff anymore. But you can take steps beginning today to release those wounds into the hands of Jesus. I'm passing over. I'm going to overlook. Not what what happened didn't happen. Not denying that I've been hurt because I've been hurt. But I'm choosing to overlook. And choosing to pass over and let my soul rise so high that it's not going to affect and touch me any longer. And so the invitation to you is this. A reminder that the healing required in your life when you've been wrongly wounded in a horrible way, that healing process takes time. It takes a while. And it's a process. But it can begin in a moment like this. When you simply open the door of that room in your life and you give Jesus access to that part of your life. Just trust him enough to give him a little access into that part of your life. Just crack the door open. Say, Jesus, you're welcome in here. I'm not sure anyone else is welcome in here, but I welcome you in here. And then just see what he might do if you let him into that part of your heart. It's a very important step. Look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And that's the answer to the question, how do I forgive? How do I forgive someone who has hurt me that severely? How do I forgive someone for something that's in the category of unforgivable? That was unforgivable 
I can't forgive them for that. It's unforgivable. How do I forgive someone in that category? And the answer is, you forgive the way you've been forgiven. Freely you have received the forgiveness of God. Freely now you give the forgiveness of God. How do I forgive someone who's wronged me, wounded me that, that severely? I forgive the same way I have been forgiven. Now, those of you who are the oldest people in the room, this concept is much easier for you than those who are younger. Let me tell you why. The, the older you, you are, the more years you live, the more accumulated sin you have in your life. And you get to a certain age and you go, wait a minute. The things I've done, the things I've said, the things I've thought, the things I should have done and didn't, all these sins add up. I've got a mountain of sin in my life. And I realize God has forgiven me of a lot. God's forgiveness towards me is big. It's huge. I, I have accumulated an enormous pile of offenses toward God. And yet, God has forgiven me. And so when the question is reversed, how then do I forgive others? The same way you've been forgiven. Jesus came on a crowd of people one day. There was a woman in the middle of this crowd, and he noticed that all of them were holding stones. And this woman was on the ground. And Jesus said, hey, what's going on? And someone in the crowd said, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. She's guilty. She's confessed. She's, she's guilty. Now, there's no sign of the man involved. And by the way, adultery requires two to tango, and we don't know the man's story, unfortunately. But we have the woman, and there she is. And Jesus kneels down beside this, beside this woman. And again, all these folks have stones in hand ready to execute the sentence against the sinner. And Jesus doodles. We don't know what he's doing in the dirt. He writes in the dirt, either with his finger, or he has a stick or something. We don't know if he's actually writing something that's legible or he's just doodling, trying to, kind of trying to capture the moment, trying to create tension in the moment. And finally he looks up to this crowd of people ready to stone this woman to death. And he says to them very simply, you know, you guys are on the right track. This woman's guilty of sin. And of course the law requires that she be punished. And so, you know, you're kind of on the right track here. But so he said, in order to finish this, this whole scenario, he said, I'll tell you what, let the one who is among you without sin cast the first stone. And then a very interesting response to that. It says, beginning with the eldest, the oldest person in the group, beginning with the older, they drop their rocks and walk away. Now, there's a lot of truth in this story, and there's a lot of insight that we can derive from it, but just hear this. It makes perfect sense that the oldest person in the crowd would go, oh man, I'm not sinless. Because the older you are, the bigger the mountain of sin is that you've accumulated over time. And the younger you are, the less time you have to accumulate. So I suspect probably in, in descending order from the oldest to the youngest is the order that they dropped their rocks that day. Until the youngest, you know, teenager was standing there with a rock going, oh, well, shoot, everybody else is left, I guess I'll leave. Can't stone her by myself. And so off he goes. But it's just because he hasn't lived long enough to accumulate the kind of sin to give him the perspective he needs to know that the forgiveness of God is a huge thing in our lives. And so when it comes our turn to forgive, we know what it looks like. You forgive as you've been forgiven. Could I just take the last 90 seconds that we have together this morning and 
think about, pray about, talk about these things. Could you stay engaged with me just for a few minutes? And with an attitude of prayer, let me talk for us. And if you hear something that you resonate with, you can incorporate that into your prayer and your thoughts. And so let's think and pray together in hopes that the spirit and power of God would touch each one of us at the point of our need with regard to offense because you've been offended and I've been offended and we've all been affected by offenses. And maybe today God can give us a breakthrough and the beginning of a process of healing for those offenses. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes just for, just for a moment? Let me just uh, uh, mention this issue, marriage infidelity. You hear people say in response to that, well, adultery is biblical grounds for divorce. And of course that's true. Adultery is biblical grounds for divorce. But let me challenge you with this. Let me challenge you. Adultery is also grounds for forgiveness. Now, I know it's complex. I know. I've never been through it, so I don't know what I'm talking about. I pray I never have to go through it. But we should seek to forgive the way we have been forgiven. How do we forgive something that seems to be unforgivable? The same way we've been forgiven. So could I encourage you today? Here's the invitation. Let Christ have a small access to that place in your life, in your heart, and see what he might do. Remember Descartes. Whenever anyone has offended me, I try to raise my soul so high that the offense cannot reach it. Could I encourage you today? Reach for God. Allow yourself to rise above the offense so high that the offense can't reach you. Remember, life is too short to live offended. Your calling is too great to live offended. God has gifted and shaped and formed you for his service and his glory. What used to hold you hostage doesn't hold you anymore because God is lifting you above it all. Lord, today we want to be so close to you that these lesser things can no longer drag us down. Lord, we know these big offenses are real and they're tough. God, give us the grace today to forgive the same way we've been forgiven. Remember, friend, when you forgive, it doesn't change what happened in the past. It doesn't change it at all. But it does change what will happen in the future. Yes, it will. Your life is too short and your calling too great to live offended. So God, I pray, Father, release your Holy Spirit today to each one of us at the point of our need, the level of the offense that we've experienced. And may your grace and power give us what we need to invite Jesus into that place and begin the process of healing. Lord, today our confession is life is too short calling is too great to live offended so we're giving up being easily offended and we're also getting over as you give us help the big offenses Lord today hear our prayer as we rely on you the presence and power the spirit of Jesus in our lives we pray in his name and everyone said